0: Western. Hello and welcome to another episode of Outlook, recording this one from home as we have been doing now for almost a year. It is January the 14th when we're recording this one and if you're catching it live on Radio Western, it should be airing on January the 18th, 2021 and we're still in the midst of International Braille Month.
1: Yeah, it was Louis Braille's birthday, as we've talked about um, so far this month. His birthday was January fourth, and um, still going to talk about Braille, even though we talk about it any old time.
0: Yeah, we don't need any uh, excuses, but uh.
1: no. But so today we're talking about so three words: Braille literacy in Canada. So I'm a fan of all those, all three of those things. So happy to talk about it, but specifically Braille literacy Canada, um, which. Seems like a good thing to have to talk about in, in January. So, today we have two guests um, one current president of BLC and one former president. Uh, so, I guess we'll start with uh, Natalie Martine- Martinello. So, you are the current president, is that correct? That's right, yes, since right. 2018. Right. Thank you for coming on Outlook.
2: Thank you so much for inviting us. We're always happy to talk about Braille and BLC.
1: Of course. And then we have uh, Jen Golden. Hi, Jen.
3: Hey, and I just echo Ad- uh, Natalie's uh, thanks. It's great to be here. I was president from 2011 to 2018.
1: Yeah, and uh, we'd sort of done a bit of work with you through um, a few meetings with the Canadian Federation of the Blind. You were involved for a while there, and you're you're around, and um, so we'd sort Hi, of yeah. known a, a bit more about
3: you. But <laughs> I am around.
0: You were huge proponents of uh, Braille Literacy Canada, with the with the Canadian Federation of the Blind, and just in general. So, so this is great to have uh, Definitely. Both of you on today.
3: Yes. Thank you. Thank you.
1: So maybe let's start with Natalie. Uh, yeah. you want to tell us a bit about um about a bit about yourself and where you grew up and where you are now. Sure. Um, So, as
2: I mentioned, I've been president of Braille Literacy Canada since 2018. Um, Before that, I served as secretary, I think, since 2013 or 14. So, I've been here a while. Um, First and foremost, I'm a lifelong Braille reader. I started learning Braille, um, you know, at the start of school. So, kindergarten, grade one, while I was still a print user. So, I was really lucky. My parents made sure I learned Braille. Um, I eventually lost the rest of my vision and and it didn't really change very much since I had all the tools I needed. Um, So I'm I'm obviously a big proponent of Braille for a whole bunch of different reasons. Um, I worked as a rehabilitation specialist for several years where I taught Braille uh, primarily to adults and older adults And um, I now work as a blindness and braille researcher at the University of Montreal. So braille is pretty much all over my life. Um, (laughs) And uh, yeah, I'm just very happy to be here and uh, happy to talk about braille to anyone who's willing to
1: listen. And how about you, Jen? Tell us a bit about yourself.
3: Sure. I was born on the beautiful Niagara Peninsula and, um, I have lived in Ottawa since 1993. Um, I came to attend university and my educational background is linguistics. I'm, and, uh, I got involved in BLC. It was actually at the time, then it was named the Canadian Braille Authority in 2008. And um, then I became president in 2011. Um, I have, in terms of employment, I I am a certified Braille transcriber and proofreader as well. Like Natalie, I'm a, I'm a lifelong Braille reader. I learned it uh, as a child and I've always been a uh, voracious reader. I'm, I'm that person that if I'm standing in line at Starbucks and I it's a long line, I'm gonna, you know, be reading a book while I wait. So, um, I um, I have worked as as a proofreader. I worked in the government in official languages and other jobs in HR. And I now work for a software company. Um, yeah, and I too, I I would say that I, the older I get, the more and the more technology advances uh, the that just has increased my use of braille. So I use it. I'm not an auditory person. I'm not an auditory learner. So braille for me really is, you know, as it is for so many others around the world, it, it really is literacy and so much more.
1: Yeah. We talk you're about here. that a lot. Yeah. here, here.
0: <laughs> so Natalie, you, you said you were from, uh, are you, were you born in, in Quebec there or is that where you, I know you're currently in Yes. Uh,
1: yes.
2: Born and raised in Montreal. So I've been here my whole life and, uh, Yeah, we're very fortunate here because we have quite a good uh, rehabilitation and education system for uh, people with visual impairments. And so there are lots of great rehab centers, not just providing, uh, you know, braille instruction, but also doing a lot of really interesting research. We also have the only uh, vision rehabilitation therapy university program in Canada that trains professionals to work Um, with adults who have uh, vision loss as well. So it's a great place to be if you're interested in that sort of thing. And uh, definitely I echo what Jen said, as I'm sure any Braille user would, that, um, you know, one of the reasons why we're just so passionate about Braille is because we're passionate about literacy, right? And Braille just ends up being the, the mechanism through which that becomes possible. So we've seen so many changes over the past 10 years, which is really exciting.
1: Yeah. Well, maybe we can talk about some of those uh, um, sometime on the show here, but um, I think it's important that you point out, we talk about your, your life there because obviously Canada or bilingual country. And um, we've talked about that. You're actually our second guest from Montreal this month, which kind of went on Donald, but um, we don't always know what's going on there in Quebec. It's sometimes sort of a bit of a split and it's kind of unfortunate that way. And not enough of us know French or fluent in French and Uh, the the connection that I still feel is there with us Canadians, French, and English, but there's definitely a bit of a a difference. How do you find that um, living there in that province?
2: Well, I mean, Braille, you know, the kind of story of Braille is really special here in Quebec because of that connection to France. So, Braille actually came to North America first because of the connection that the School for the Blind here had in Quebec with the School for the Blind in Paris, France. And so we were among the first um, in North America to introduce Braille. And even when other uh, schools and countries were still having debates about which code to use, uh, we pretty much adopted uh, Braille very early on, which is really exciting. And that's allowed us to kind of, you know, expand over the years and and have really reputable braille music programs in the past as well Um, and so that's a really nice historical piece for Canada to feel proud of for sure
1: yeah by the time I was in say ninth grade in high school I was taking French there I had braille braille French braille so yeah it's it's actually interesting to be able to have braille in when you're learning French as well so
0: yeah, yes, for sure. And for, for me in school, those were the big the big subjects were Braille. I mean, obviously in uh, in English and all of that it was very important for the literacy part, but also French and and math in particular it was very important just because it is such a those are so specialized. And just having that having that access through Braille made it so much better for me. And uh, it's one of those things that, you know, it, it can be a pretty sensitive sort of topic because it's just I think for my sister Carrie here, too, it's just something that we've been around for our entire lives, and it's just such an important part of life, and it's, uh, yeah, I'm just, you know, it's something I, I think about, and we'll get into it a little bit later, a bit more about, you know, s- sort of this talk a little bit recently about not as much Braille being taught, and this this statistic that's hard to always know, but they're saying maybe around 10% of blind children are learning Braille, um, so it's it's all of these things that uh, are very important to to us, and that's why one of the main reasons we really wanted to have you on the show today.
2: Yes, definitely. And I know, I mean, Jen Jen will know this from her linguistics background, so I'm sure she'll have something to say on this. But, you know, learning a language without having that physical access to text on paper or on a braille display would be very difficult, as are so many subjects, if, if you would have to do them entirely through audio, which I think makes a lot of sense when you use the analogy of print, if you, you know, try to get sighted people to imagine doing certain things without having access to written information, it becomes a lot more clear to them why Braille, you know, the place of Braille will never actually be, um, it it will change, it will never change, because you always need that core form of literacy, even as technology changes.
3: Well, and I think just to add to what Natalie is saying, um, in terms of sort of from a... um, a linguist, you know, a psycholinguistic perspective, a neurolinguistic perspective that the processes in your, in your brain, when you look at, you know, visual reading and tactile reading versus audio, there's a, a huge distinction between what happens in visual and tactile reading versus what happens in auditory processing. So, this, the idea that many people have that reading braille and listening are kind of Six of one, half a dozen of the other. They're not. They're not really thinking about it from the the perspective of how your brain actually processes audio input and tactile input and visual
0: input. That's a great exactly. point, Jen, because that's what I, I mean. That's come up on the show recently, and I've talked a lot about with Braille for me um, being born blind, and you know my entire life. Just having light perception, so can't really can't see enough to read anyway. Um, or to read print, I guess I should say. Um, for me, braille it is. A, it is using my the, those parts of the brain, the visual and tactile memory, where you know it helps a lot with so much with literacy because you know when I see the word like Jen or Natalie, I'm feeling it in braille, and then I can remember mm. that in my mind of how it feels. So I think about the feel of it, and that helps me remember how to spell something instead of just hearing a bunch of letters and trying to memorize it that way. So I do think I do see that benefit. Um, all the time with me for Braille.
3: Well, we talk about visual learners versus a- auditory learners, and Natalie uh, will uh, know, you know, tons about this, but it sounds a little bit, um, I don't know, people sometimes sort of chuckle, sometimes sighted people will chuckle, but I'll say, you know, I really am a visual learner when you, like, in this <laughs> context, right? I'm a visual learner. I have to, I have to see it, aka read it, in braille or look at a tactile graphic to get the image. I'm not so much an, audit, an auditory learner, and so I think there's a really a misconception that all blind people are auditory learners and sighted people are visual learners, and that's that's just not actually the case.
2: It's So true, and 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 to add to what Jen said, there is a lot of research that talks about how you know you might find this as well. Um, when you read Braille, you tend to remember things better and you understand what you're reading a little bit more. So there's a lot of research on kind of like active versus, versus passive reading and how a lot of the time people will retain the information better if they physically read it themselves, um, whether that's, you know, print for sighted people or Braille for, you know, for us. Um, and a lot of that comes down to the fact that it's easier to tune out when you're listening to something being read to you. So you're more actively involved. So it really is a more kind of more active engagement. And one thing that I know Jen knows this as well, but one really interesting fact about Braille is that the more and more you read it and the earlier you start using it, they actually have have seen that Braille users activate the visual part of their brain as they're reading Braille. So you're you're using so much of your brain power, which for sure plays a role when it comes to comprehension.
3: Our occipital lobes are definitely not going to waste. No.
1: <laughs> that's good to know. Yeah, yeah, that's great. So, Jen, you live in Ottawa, so you're close enough to Quebec there. It's kind yeah. of French adjacent there. So,
3: I um, used to work in Quebec
1: in my previous job. Okay, so you're bilingual as well? Yes. Right. Wow, that's great. Yeah. Makes me think I should go back and take another to. I can understand it a little as I listen, um, like, but I can pick out a word here and there. Sometimes I can f- sort of follow the general theme of what's being said, but I could never really, I wouldn't very easily converse. But Brian and I both did get our guide dogs uh, at Mira in Quebec. So, oh, very okay. cool. So, yeah, so I'm not sure ago. if you guys, yeah, a long time ago. Yeah. You know, if you guys have um, any association with them, but it's a great thing to have
2: here in Canada. We're both
3: guide dog users. Okay. And actually the woman who, I'm sorry, this is just kind of a cool, since we're talking (laughs) about this, but my dog is from Canadian Guide Dogs for the Blind, but his trainer used to work at Mira and she trained him in French and English. So I have a bilingual dog, which was really fun in the U.S. because when, when we used to you know, when the world was fun and we could travel, I would talk to my dog in French and my US colleagues would be like, Your dog knows French. I'd be like, Yep. <laughs> all dog. Yeah, know French. all Canadian dogs <laughs> know French.
1: <laughs> nice. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting to see what people um, people learn about guide dogs when they have a friend or a colleague who has one. But um, obviously, today we're talking about Braille and literacy, but it, it can't hurt to talk about guide dogs, yeah, Guide too.
0: dogs, too. Yeah. Any Anything. Well,
1: what's <laughs> what's cooler? I mean, when we talk about blindness, the two most popular
2: topics, if you're giving a presentation anywhere, it's Braille and guide dogs. People are fascinated
1: by both. So they have so. people say, can your dog read Braille? <laughs> <laughs> Put them
3: all I just together. Just tell them my dog is waiting for his opposable thumbs, and then he'll get started. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's true. You do need those. <laughs> It's hard to turn pages otherwise. yes.
1: <laughs> so
3: um, let's
1: talk a bit about your early education, like how Braille sort of came into that. I guess, Natalie, you talked about that a little. Um, what about you, Jen? Did you have sight in school at all to learn Braille and print or how did Braille come up in school for you?
3: Um, so what happened with me was that my mom, I'm the youngest of three girls and my mother decided that she didn't want to send me away to school. And this is not in any way a, a, a negative towards uh W. Ross McDonald at all, but my mom mm-hmm. just didn't want to do this, so she fought and she, um, she, she went to every meeting that she heard about that the superintendent of our school board was attending, and she'd wait for him. I, you know, it sounds a little creepy, but it worked for her. I think he just got tired of my mom kind of following them around. So I was I started kindergarten in the public school system and there I stayed. And so before I started school, my mom taught me print letters like raise, you know, using Fisher Price and cutouts Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Not because she was against Braille in any way, but just because she didn't know Braille, but she wanted to get me started. She wanted to just give me every tool that she possibly could. And then I think I learned a few letters before I started school, but like Natalie, my braille instruction began once I started school and I don't remember a a lot about learning braille the only thing I remember is reading a phrase um that it was like I have a puppy and I I sort of looked up and said is this it like when do I get to read books (laughs) so that's where what it was all about for me I just wanted to be able to read books and um I I don't remember much else about the process except that I had to do a, uh, reading speed challenge with all the contractions and I was Mm -hmm. timed. Um, but other than that, I, yeah, actually, (laughs) I mean, the fact that I still remember it, I guess tells you, uh, tells you something about, you know, it stuck in my head, but it was, it, it was, um, it was integral. Like, I mean, I, I can't even stress enough how, how important, how essential, see, I'm trying to look for adjectives, that Braille was to my education. It was, um, I used it all the time and and for every subject and there was never audiobooks for me. It was like the consolation prize if that was all I could get just because for the reasons that we've talked about, I won't reiterate them, but um, I would not, and I'm not just saying that as a, you know, a trite statement, but I'm, I'm sure I would not have succeeded in education the way I did and I wouldn't be, you know, on route to a PhD, if I hadn't, if Braille had not been such a primary factor for me.
1: And it all started out with, I have a puppy. It it
3: did indeed. And here um, I am. Yes. yeah. <laughs>
1: <Yep>. <laughs> so what about you, Natalie, for school? Like Jen mentioned how she's always been a voracious reader. How about you with Braille oh, as
0: you got older
1: and... Absolutely. Um, so I mentioned
2: that I still had some vision. I, I had a significant visual impairment. Um, yeah, I was just going to quick
0: uh, ask. Did you? So either of you have you ever read uh, print then, or has it been?
3: Yeah, I I have. I, I haven't. Okay. Not visually.
0: It's kind of similar with Carrie and I because Carrie used to be able to, to see a bit more, so she would you know read print, large print at least. Whereas for me, I never have, so it's always been Braille. I just I'm always curious in the differences there because you know it obviously it comes up a lot in this discussion about they're teaching, you know, children who are blind, but not, or legally blind, but not blind enough where they can't reprint. They're just, you know, enforcing large print instead of maybe teaching Braille and just how the differences are if you do have that a little bit more sight than uh, someone else. So I just thought that's an interesting thing to look into a little bit.
2: For sure. And, and for me, I mean, um, because I have glaucoma, My parents knew that, you know, they were told that I may lose the rest of my vision when I, as I got older. Um, And they didn't know any other Braille users, didn't know any other blind people either. Um, When I first started school, I have three older siblings who are all sighted. And, um, you know, she, she just had, you know, this foresight to... Um, treat me no differently than she did my other siblings, um, thankfully. And I I went to the same school and she also had to advocate like Jen's, Jen's mom to ensure that I had braille instruction and, and not just, you know, once a week, which unfortunately happens sometimes for variety of different reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, you know, just heavy caseloads for, for specialized, um, you know, teachers of the visually impaired, um, being one of them funding. But she really pushed for me to have that training um, every day and, and not just as a pullout, right? Like actually using Braille in your daily subjects, which is really important. Um, and, you know, as I got older, not just even if the rest of my vision hadn't, you know, decreased over time, um, it, Braille would have still played just an integral as a role because... You know your reading load increases as you get older and depending even if you have some vision right depending on what you're doing braille may just make the most sense for things like math or when your eyes get tired or if you don't provide students with the option then they don't have that option right and so that's what we talk about a lot with low vision is you want to give as many tools as, as you can in the toolbox so that they have the freedom to choose what works best for them. Um, but yes, like Jen, I was always a very voracious reader. And I used to wait for physical books to arrive in the mail <laughs> from the library. And thankfully today we can, yeah, thankfully today Jen and I both have, you know, braille displays. And we can often get those books on the day they're released. So braille, braille just becomes more and more, um, you know, of a prominent role in our lives because of technology. So it's very exciting.
3: I think one thing, too, that doesn't often get said, but I know it's the case for me and Natalie, I'm going to guess that it would be the case for you, but I can read Braille faster than I can listen to audio. So, even if we took out all the other factors about what I can remember or not remember, you know, the differences in processing, I'm, d- I'm a faster reader than I am a listener.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I think it might. It depends. I mean, for me, I do notice like I'll hear some blind people with their voiceover on their computer or whatever so fast. And I'm like, I don't even I don't even have (laughs) mine. I can't
3: understand it. But I do find
0: (laughs) I do find for me if it's something that I'm reading, if it's very familiar and I'm just reading it, then I can do it with speech a lot easier. Whereas if it's new information or something that I'm trying to process really, you know, at a deeper level, that's where the Braille really comes in compared to just listening to audio for me anyway.
3: Great to have that choice. Very important. Hmm.
1: Yeah, choice for sure. That's what we like to talk about and that's what we've been talking about all this month so far on Outlook. Yeah. Um and I think we we had the same kind of experience. I guess all of us here on this on this episode here uh, with having parents that, luckily for us, were yeah, you know, like yeah. you said, in the in the in the face of the school board. That's <laughs> something said.
0: I was going to bring up was the the whole idea that it seems like it's a common thread with all of us here today that uh, we all had the, these parents who advocated for this so so strongly at the time. But what about you know what about all these the children that don't have that you know it's it's not mm-hmm. it's not always easy. Mm-hmm. So I just it's one of those things I think about a lot and the whole whole literacy in general in school and having you know enough braille teachers i've i've been reading that that's on the decline there are less braille teachers out there than there used to be so all of those factors are very important and need to be talked about more
3: i think the role of parents is super important because as you say every most of the blind people that i know that are you know proficient braille readers and all kinds of other things right the the way that your parents advocate for you and teach you to advocate for yourself and you know set that example it's and their attitude towards braille and it seems to you know ends up being really important for how it is for you and you know as you get older right? like as we get older
2: yeah and i think that highlights the importance of just ensuring that parents of blind children have access to early intervention supports because you know, parents parents who have never met a blind person, they don't know, right? Some of right. them might have the foresight or might have the ability to, to educate themselves and to get those resources. But sometimes a lot of that might happen just because they don't know, right? Or they yeah. may have been misguided by, you know comments from others that you know they can only expect so much from a blind person and and they don't know to question that necessarily and so it really comes back to you know education and and you know the importance of real literacy but also other things doesn't just start with formal education it really is a family-wide process that needs to begin as early as possible
3: and I think um, one of the things that I always think of when we when we talk about parent involvement, I mean, I I won't, but I could I could go on for long periods of time on all the things that that my mother in particular did when I was little. But one time I asked my mom, and this was in recent years, because I was having a conversation with someone who said, um, you know, and I mean, this is a whole other discussion about contracted versus uncontracted Braille. But basically, this person said to me that, you know, they thought contracted Braille was too hard; and it wasn't fair to make people learn it, and. I, you know, I've responded how I responded, but then just sort of curiosity, I said, I asked my mom, I said, mom, what did you, how did, what was your reaction when you were, when that was explained to you and they, you were told that I would, I would learn these contractions? And her first response was basically like, you know, she kind of said, well, I, yeah, I thought maybe it sounded a bit hard, but I wasn't the one that had to learn it. It was you <laughs> that was going to have to learn it. But then I said, she, she kind of got a little bit more serious. And, and she said that because my mother, um, trained as a secretary and so she was proficient in shorthand and she said well to me it just seemed like shorthand and I thought that if I could learn shorthand you know that I wasn't going to be using all the time you could learn contractions that you you were going to use all the time and practice and get really familiar with them so she said I really just wasn't it just wasn't a concern to me and I knew that you needed to my mother is a reader and she said I just I knew you needed to be able I knew you needed to be You needed to be able to do this and you needed to be proficient. So I was going to do what I had to do to make sure that you got that.
2: I think that's something we talk a lot about within BLC. Um, You know, just, just for the people listening, when we say contractions, we're talking about how in Braille, there are symbols that represent entire words or groups of letters just to save space. Um, and, you know, one of the things we talk a lot about within BLC is the fact that there's this misconception that Braille is so much harder than print, but, you know, there's no reason why print letters look the way they do, right? They're just kind of these arbitrary lines and curves, um, and they make sense to you as print readers, just as, you know, the dots make sense to us in Braille. Um, so it's not any harder. It's all about what you're familiar with. And of course, all of us here today also know that, the Braille system is very, very logical, so it's 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 very easy to remember those letters once you learn the first ten. Right. right.
0: It's it's not it's not this totally mysterious thing that that a lot of people probably think it would be if you know, if, which obviously it w- makes sense because it's just it's not talked about enough probably, and it's a lot of people just aren't around anyone who's blind, so they wouldn't you know they wouldn't maybe know. But uh...
3: well, and I think too, um, you know, as I was making my comments about contracted Braille, I was thinking, oh, I should probably clarify, too, that my, you know, the preference or the fact that contracted Braille is often a default doesn't in any way lessen the value of reading uncontracted Braille. Like, that's perfectly valid, and that should be a choice as well. Um, Especially, you know, Natalie, your area of, well, one of your areas of expertise of of, uh, teaching adults, and we you know I never want someone who's learning braille to be like well and sometimes braille readers will adult braille readers will say well I'm not a braille reader like you and I'm like Mm-mm, no yes you are if you you know you're yeah, braille, you're a braille, a braille, reader, braille reader. reader even if you you know you don't have to read war and peace to be a braille reader
0: all right we're coming up on the the halfway point today on outlook we're going to take a quick break for some ads and we'll be right back with jen and natalie from braille literacy canada
1: Welcome back. You're listening to Outlook on Radio Western, 94.9, or on the podcast platform of your choice. Uh, and we are speaking today with Natalie Martinello and Jen Golden of Braille Literacy Canada. And as we were talking about before the break, it is important. That's why we talk about Braille so much on the show. But we we were talking about it, and we, we really want it to be l- like demysif- demystified in society because... When parents t- to find out their child is blind, if they've never met a blind person before, it's so scary and daunting. And depending on what they've heard about blindness, they may not understand that there's so many possibilities and, and finding the right resources. But to be able to teach your child about Braille, if if society as a whole understood Braille a bit better and saw it more than they even do now, then I think it would help go a long way and all that. But um, but yeah, so let's talk about... um. Let's get into sort of what Braille literacy literacy Canada is um, did you two meet through that or did you know each other before that
2: yeah we met through um, through Braille literacy Canada I, I had known about the Canadian Braille Authority Braille literacy Canada for quite some time um, and I was really interested to get involved and
0: I was curious yeah. about how you how you've heard about Braille literacy Canada in the first place or I guess at that point um, having that different name, but, um, cause you know, for, for example, like Carrie, I'm not sure about when you heard of it, but for me, it was very recent. So it's one of those mm. things that growing up blind all my life, it's like, how come I haven't heard of these things? So I was kind of just curious how both of you.
2: Well, so I, I like Jen and many other people, I was always very involved in the Braille kind of professional world as much as I could be. Um, you know, um, and so I knew about uh, the Canadian Braille Authority through that. And in the past, um, and Jen will speak on this as well, um, it, it, it tended to focus more, our organization tended to focus a bit more on um, teachers who provide braille literacy instruction and on braille research. It was always open to braille users, uh, of course, uh, but that just was the way it kind of evolved at that time. Um, based on the expertise and as things started to change as with every organization and we could connect far more easily with larger groups with social media and email and and all of you know that electronic access it became easier and easier to reach out to people across canada and so that's that's one of the reasons why i think more people even even from before know who we are today Hmm.
3: I think I would just, yeah, that, that's all true, and I'm going to try not to repeat anything that Natalie just said. Um, I knew because of uh, Braille, tra- the transcription courses, and, you know, the rule documents and formatting documents, I knew about the Braille Authority of North America, uh, BANA, which is primarily, uh, it's Canada and the U.S., although it is, there are, it's, most of the member organizations are uh, American, But anyway, all that to say that I knew um, governing bodies for Braille existed, but I didn't know much more about that. And I wanted to get involved with an organization in Canada that would allow me to be more proactive in promoting Braille. And this was after I had my certification. And I just did a Google search one day and the Canadian Braille Authority came up Mm -hmm. and I'm like, huh, this is interesting. So I went to their website and this was 2008. And there was a a note that said, if you were interested to, to, uh, you know, there was an email address and i wrote to um it it turned out to that it went to betty noble who is a, a lifelong braille reader and a uh retired tvi well she's kind of retired but she's not <laughs> i don't know if betty will ever retire one of her
2: past presidents oh, and, yeah she and never. she was
3: um she was a, a president she wasn't president at the time of you know, my getting involved in BLC, but she was, she was a past president. And so my email ended up going to her and I basically just kind of gave her a brief, a paragraph or two about who I was and my connection with Braille. And I said that I'd like to get involved. And was there a way I could do that? And she wrote me back and said, what are you doing in April? Would you like to come to Calgary and be on our, and join our board? (laughs) (laughs) So uh, that's how I got started with, um, with uh, BLC.
1: So you went to Calgary?
3: So I went to Calgary and attended my first board meeting of the Canadian Braille Authority. And uh, it, it everything just kind of went from there. It's been a great organization to be involved with. And yeah, I
2: definitely... And I think that's one of the things that we want to h- highlight for anyone out there who is a Braille user or involved in Braille in any way or just interested in promoting and supporting Braille literacy is that there are so many ways you can get involved. You can, obviously, you can... Um, you know, get involved at a, at a higher level, but we also have many working committees that work on various projects like Braille promotions and uh, social media and teaching and learning all kinds of things. Um, and then we meet every year, um, and of course, this year will be virtually, but we meet each year uh, for our annual uh, general meeting, and that's a good time also to connect with uh, with other people in the Canadian Braille community as well.
1: Yeah, and I'd heard of you guys for a while. I'm not sure when I heard of you, but I keep meeting to get more involved, with, as Braille is so important to me. But uh, yeah, there's just so many things to to do. But maybe since you're president first, Jen, do you want to let us know um Maybe you could tell us. We want to know more about what exactly Braille Literacy Canada is and does. But what was that change then um, when
3: it became Braille BLC? Sure. So, um, and I'm I'm just figuring. I'm I'm going to make this as brief as I can. But basically, mm-hmm. um, so bear with me because you need a little bit of background. Mm-hmm. In 1976, the Braille Authority of North America was founded so that there could be a, a governing body, a, a, an organization that would sort of make decisions on code rules and formatting rules. And so Canada was very much involved, but then what happened as discussions started to happen around making Braille more consistent internationally, because we were all, I don't know if, if um, any of you guys remember, but I can remember growing up and getting library books, some of which were produced in the UK, some were produced yeah. in mm-hmm. Canada. Yeah. So, I mean, it was never a problem for me, but, You'll probably remember that, you know, there were some different in books from Britain didn't have capitals and they right. would use ya and dear instead of AR. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> the one that a lot of people remember. So not that that's a problem, right? Not that it's like, Oh my goodness, we don't know what we're reading because of that, but discussions started to happen about, you know, making things more consistent and how could we work together internationally to share resources and be more efficient. And, and um, the, Discussion sort of went from there, and so when the International Council on English Braille was was founded, um, in well, discussion started in the 1980s, and then it was sort of 1990-ish that it was founded. But basically, what happened was that member countries of this international council, the 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 vehicle by which you, your country could be a member was through a, a, a national braille authority, and Canada at that time didn't have one because. BANA, you know, was the Braille Authority of North America, but it was sort of based in the U.S., even though Canadians were and still are very much involved. Um, So, it was decided at that time to form the Canadian Braille Authority, partly so that it could serve, it could represent Canada internationally, it could sort of affirm the use in Canada of BANA standards and and documents, because we could just as easily follow the British um, right. some of the British formatting, right? But it it makes a lot of sense for us to do the same thing as the U.S. was doing because of proximity. So, um, and then there were some things that were very unique to Canada. The education system's a little different. We have the bilingualism aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, so there were a number of different th- reasons along those lines why it was important to um, form a specifically Canadian Braille Authority. And it also helped when... Um, Natalie mentioned sort of the the teacher the and the research aspects our teaching and learning committee would apply for grants and this was the organization by which they would you know where the the funding it would be the Canadian Braille Authority that was applying for the funding so it was helpful on that level as well Um, the Braille transcription and proofreading certification is administered kind of on on our behalf as well. So so that was kind of that role. the The name change uh, to make a long and tedious story very short. The name change sort of had two elements. One was that all charitable organizations, uh, not for profit had to reapply under new charitable, um, status legislation, uh, for new legislation for not-for-profits that was federal legislation. And the, the deadline was sort of 2014-ish. So we had to do a whole process of reevaluating what our, um, it's called the objects of the corporation, like what our goals are, our mandate, all that kind of stuff. So we had to do all of that. And there was, because there was the Braille Authority in North America and the Canadian Braille Authority, there's a lot of debate on, it was just a little bit, you know, people found that a bit confusing and some people felt that it was like not necessarily, um, that it might be helpful if we had a name that was more reflective or or was maybe a little less ambiguous. I'm sorry, if it sounds like I'm being vague, Hmm. it's because I this would not have been my first choice to change our name from the Canadian, I'm just going to say it, Mm -hmm. it wouldn't have been my first choice, but anyway, I, and I was actually president at the time, but I believe in democracy, and so, um, I, I, I still believe in it, but anyway, um, so, so we did change the name, and I think it does have some advantages, but, um, that really is sort of why, uh, I, I did, and a lot of us felt very strongly that we need to make sure that it's very um, it's very clear that our focus is Braille literacy because yeah. that's obviously mm-hmm. what we want to promote and what we uh, stand for. But as to, you know, how have we changed as an organization, that's had a lot more to do with changes in, as Natalie said, changes in how we can connect and um, over the last several years, we have maybe not done as much research, but we've done more. We found other ways to connect with with the average Braille reader, which I think is is a really positive thing as well.
1: Hmm. And so about you, Natalie, you're president currently. What does um, BLC mean to you? What is it to you? I mean,
2: it's just a place to connect with people who are as passionate about Promoting the importance of literacy for blind people, and I think, you know, Jen touched on um, the fact that, you know, we've changed as as many organizations have uh, over time, and that our core mandate is the same. You know, we we review and we approve guidelines for the Braille code in Canada. We're connected to other English-speaking countries through the International Council on English Braille, and BLC has a lot to be proud of there because we've played an integral role in 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 that as well, and and in you know along with many others uh, from other countries with the eventual um, you know adoption of unified English Braille, and so all of that is important. But I think one of the things that has shifted a little bit uh, over time is that there's more of an emphasis now on promoting. Um, the importance of braille literacy, because it's, it's kind of, you know, reflective of what we see in, in, um, you know, the blindness or disability community where, okay, now we have all this, you know, we have these legal rights, you know, we have, um, you know, rights for our quality We have access to all these tools, but um, there are still lots of misconceptions and like unspoken um Misconceptions about blindness that end up then infiltrating to the way people unconsciously think about braille, like we talked about braille, you know whether it's still important, which is something you would never ask about print, and so I think that's been a big piece of where we've kind of shifted um, over the past few years as as a board, as an organization in educating the public, um, just just through examples of you know of how we use braille um, and trying to address those misconceptions in different ways um, and trying to change the conversation because we, you know, we don't want people asking, is braille still important? We want people talking about how can we make it more available and how can we ensure that it's, it's there for anyone who needs it. Um, And so, you know, I'm, as Jen is as well, we're, we're very proud of, um, a lot of the initiatives we've introduced over time. We have, um, you know, bi-monthly workshops where we talk about different Braille related themes. Um, we have a newsletter that we send out to our members every two months that kind of, you know, just talks about, um, Braille, Braille related news, how things are, you know, uh, new kind of projects and initiatives and events that are happening in the world of Braille. Um, And one of the really exciting things that we've introduced lately is the Braille Zoomers program, which is for adult Braille learners. And so again, that's just connecting adults who are thinking about learning Braille or who are learning it now with other adult Braille learners and a lot of those discussions end up also being about you know how they feel about braille and addressing those misconceptions and helping them understand that yes it's it's a tool that's used by people who are blind but it's actually a tool that's empowering right it's not it's not a symbol of impairment it's something that will actually increase your independence mm-hmm.
3: I think one of the things, too, that we're able to do with more of an online and social media presence is just make resources available, Um, you know, whether it's on our website, we we're always, you know, we're always looking for new things, even if it's access to, you know, where can I buy braille games or where, where are some places I can go to get braille books or slate and styluses and, you know, all these kinds of things. And our, our info mailbox, um, I primarily monitor it and we actually get quite a few questions just from random people who need information on Braille for one reason or another. And so they find us and they contact us and then we get to, you know, connect them with people who can help them or answer their questions or, you know, give them links to resources that they need. So it really does give us a way to, um, yeah, demystify and and just to make more things more resources available to people that need them
1: yeah that's actually how i reached out to you this most recent time um i wanted some information on where i could direct somebody for print braille books
0: yeah and i think that's a common thing you think you'd think growing up with blindness and all this we'd know all of these places but really it is it is great that we have an organization like braille literacy Canada to establish a directory of these of these canadian braille producers because yeah it's no and you know it's not even just the blind people i should be talking about you know anyone who's Who's um, looking looking for anything in braille to to access? So
2: definitely, and I mean, anyone could visit our website. It's it's just brailleliteracycanada.ca. We're also on Facebook and we're on Twitter. If you search for Braille Literacy Canada, and you know, we invite anyone who wants to know more about braille, even you know, even classroom teachers. If if you um, have a blind student in your class, or even if you just want to learn more about how to um, you know, incorporate uh, that into what you're doing, um, You know, we're always happy to connect people. And if we don't have the answers, then we likely know someone who does. So that yeah, connectivity I've, is amazing.
1: Yeah, I've, I mean, I have enough Braille here that I sometimes think I should reach out to schools to see if they'd be interested. in I'm not sure during COVID, but it's something I think about. Um, so you mentioned a little bit about teaching adults. How's that? What is that like? You both have had some experience with that. I think, I
0: think think it would be good to talk just a little bit about that and and teaching Braille in general where, you know, it's, it's one of those things that like we say, it's, it's not as mystical and as, as people might (laughs) think it is, but it's one of those things that it it is looked at as kind of a really hard thing to learn, and I know it's different learning as an adult as a as a compared to a child, which is when I learned. so I don't know like if you could talk yeah, just a little bit about that and the the teaching in general and how that how that works. This is definitely Natalie's area of expertise,
2: although Jen has been um an amazing amazing contributor as well with our brill Zoomer's program um yeah, I mean, I think um. I know from when I uh, taught adults through the rehab centers, a lot of the time what you're really trying to push through is the stigma and the intimidation because one, one of the many differences between children and adults who learn braille is that adults have vision loss. So they're experiencing some kind of loss. Whereas Mm -hmm. for children who are born blind, they don't have that Mm -hmm. same experience if they're born blind And so they're dealing with all the the feelings about vision loss and they were previously sighted. And there are a lot of misconceptions about what blind people can and can't do. And so that's accepting to learn a tool that is probably, uh, you know, apart from the the white cane, the most prominent symbol of blindness is Braille, is really difficult for you if you... um, hold negative or, you know, incorrect perceptions about blindness. And so it's kind of pushing through that. And, you know, we talked about before, the best way to do that is to show people right away how Braille could be used in their daily lives to make things easier. Because when it and, and I remember having this conversation with, you know, more than one client, but you know, what, what ends up scaring people the most about blindness is that loss of independence. And, you know, when, when you realize that Braille actually allows you to address that problem and allows you to kind of take control of that situation and, and, and reverse a lot of that, those fears, then, then that's when the feelings start to change and you start to realize that Braille is this really empowering tool that allows you to do so much. And so, Learning as an adult involves coming to understand um, how empowering Braille is. And a lot of that happens, you know, is facilitated by knowing other Braille users. Mm -hmm. um, Because you can tell someone what's possible, but it's often a lot more powerful if they see it themselves. And just ensuring that you use Braille every day. Because, you know, children pick up things like sponges. Um, And so, of course, everything is easy to learn when you're a child, but that's not specific to Braille. But you have to remember also that children, when they learn as a child, they have access to that learning every day in school. And so if you're an adult and you're only going to a rehab center once a week or once every two weeks or less, then it makes sense that if you don't use Braille between those sessions, you're not going to progress. And so, you know, there's that idea that you know, you might think that Braille is difficult to learn, but really it's, it's a matter of just applying it right away and practicing it every day. And you'll start to see that it, it, it makes a lot of sense and will just become, um, you know,
1: a normal part of your life over time. And learning Braille in, in a pandemic, I'm assuming would be hard, <laughs> teaching it, I guess. Well, and I mean, actually, that's a good point, um, is that
2: We've seen a lot of really amazing examples of teachers being very creative Mm -hmm. um, over the past eight months, even within BLC. And actually, um, we are going to be holding a virtual workshop um, in February where we'll have a panel of teachers of students with visual impairments who will talk about how they teach Braille virtually during the pandemic. So, you know, once you see that that announcement come out in the next, you know, week or two, um, you know, I encourage anyone who's interested to attend.
1: Yeah. So, how do people find out? How to get? How to get in touch with them? That invite? Yeah. So, our members will receive
2: the announcement automatically by email. And if you are not a member and you want to learn more about, you know, that workshop or anything else that we that we're up to, you can just write to us at info at blc-lbc.ca or visit our website at brailliteracycanada.ca.
1: Right. Yeah. That sounds interesting. And I know the common starting point is like picking up a, a muffin tin with and having the six, <laughs> six spaces yes. and, uh, and
3: some tennis balls. We've obviously attended the same workshops. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes.
1: Well, that's where you start, I guess.
2: That is where we start. As long as one of the, the tennis balls doesn't fall on the floor and then your guide dog decides to <laughs> play with, you know, dot three or <laughs>
1: dot six. Oh.
0: So yeah, we're we're speaking today with Natalie and Jen from Braille Literacy Canada uh, here today on Outlook. We're down to our last five minutes or so. This has been great so far, and so much really important and interesting insight into into Braille. And I just found the 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 discussion about adults learning Braille so fascinating, and just the whole idea about I mean, it's like any like you pointed out, any skill is 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 harder to learn as an adult as, compared to being a kid. But I do feel like um, personally, like that a lot of the difficulty with learning Braille, like Sure, it's like anything. It comes easier to some people than others. But a big part of it is is the mindset and the experience that someone's gone through, and, and this this sort of um, the myths that are out there, and that and this whole understanding that it is so difficult. So I just it makes me wonder sometimes how much of the difficulty learning Braille has to do with just you know personal abilities, or has to do with you know the mindset and overall society perspectives.
2: For sure. And if I could just make one more point about that topic is that, you know, it's definitely a question of, you know, pushing through the the misconceptions, but we also need to advocate that there are more and more options for adults to learn Braille if they want to, because, you know, the services depending on where you are are not necessarily available. Right. Um, and so we need to just continue advocating And explaining to, you know, the general public why even as an adult, even if you have those fundamental literacy skills where you understand how spelling works, why Braille is still really useful for different tasks. Mm.
0: And I think that's where I, I struggle yeah. sometimes is, is this whole thing, you know, I don't want to create any sort of divide with anyone. And I think sometimes that can happen a little bit when, when someone's a super confident Braille reader and then they they hang around with someone who's blind who isn't as as um advanced in reading Braille. And then it, that person might feel intimidated by it. But I don't, you know, I don't think that...
1: Don't... Or, d- or doesn't read it at all.
0: Right, right. And I feel... Because not all blind people. Yeah, exactly. And I don't, I, ne- I never want that. I, and that's why I think, you know, it's... Like you, like your point earlier with contractions comp- compared to Grade One Braille. Like, there's nothing wrong with Grade One Braille. Like, we have to you have to start somewhere, and it's it's just one of those things that I think about a lot.
1: And what's great with technology now is that with Braille displays, like we said, like I'm using one right now with my notes for you guys, and uh, you know, there's a setting now. You can flip it to Grade One. You can flip back to Grade Contracted yeah. to <laughs> Braille. You can <laughs> French English. Yeah, you know, it's there's more yeah. options. So that's what's great. Wow. Well, like Braille Literacy Canada, uh, I hope people will go check out your website learn more about it and let's say we just celebrated Louis's birthday again here how do you say Louis Braille uh, in French cuz we don't always get that right Louis, Louis Braille <laughs> great Louis yeah Bray. so we were all at a yes. celebration a couple of weeks ago where we honored him and I know he's matters to all of us here on this call um and so yeah like yeah. where would where would we be without that indeed yeah yeah, if only he can know,
3: right? The impact. Yeah, yeah impact. really. It's... Just the a teenager. And the writing right? system that that brings million independence to millions of blind people around the world for the last two hundred years was invented by a blind person.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, yep. And even things like you know the more recent developments like you brought up the the UEB the Unified English Braille. I still need to spend some time practicing with that. I know Carrie here has uh, switched her. Translation on her phone over to uh, UEB and it has been using it, but, uh, I'm still stuck in the old, the old form, but format, but, uh. I'll it was
3: sure actually it. at the request, not the request, but it was, it was an initiative started by Braille readers. A lot of Braille readers in Canada in particular, maybe don't necessarily know that, but the wow. idea behind Louis, uh, behind Louis Braille, behind <laughs> UEB was, was, um, kind of the, uh, the, uh, it was an initiative of Braille readers in, In the United States, actually.
2: Well, I'm sure... And it's not that different, right? Yeah. So, one one thing to just mention to to lifelong readers is, you know, they, they removed a few contractions, but the alphabet is the same. The contractions are, you know, the same. It's just some rules have changed, some new punctuation signs have been added. So you can easily pick up a book in UEB and you, you yeah, may not even notice that it is in UEB. I'm not going to translate
0: over and be like, wait, what is this? I have to learn Braille all over again. It's not quite, like, not quite <laughs> yeah, that extreme. Not, it's so.
3: more like an update. Right. Than a, than a new, yeah. It's
0: definitely not a new code.
3: Well, I'm sure
1: things will change again in the future. Rules are always changing, so for
3: sure.
1: <coughs> in print and in you never know what yeah. we're in, we're in store is in store for us braille readers in the future.
3: <laughs>
0: that is true. Braille sticks around; it's not going anywhere. So,
1: nope, nope. It's
0: not
3: if
1: not. not if we could have any wor- anything to say about it.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Jen and Natalie from Braille Literacy Canada. You can find their website at brailleliteracycanada.ca. And thanks so much for coming on Outlook today.
2: Thank you for having us. Thank
3: you.
0: Find us on Twitter at OutlookCFB. And on Facebook, facebook.com slash Outlook on Radio Western.